Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life. In this message, it all adds up. One day, Daniel was out walking by the river, by the river's gate, and as he was walking, suddenly he fell into vision, and he envisioned over the river was this two-horned ram, and this, ho- this two-horned ram was running everywhere, and everywhere it was running to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. It was knocking over people and trampling them, and this ram was vicious and evil and mean. And as it was running around, absolutely nothing and no one could stand in its way. All of its victims were powerless. And as Daniel is watching this in utter horror, he sees suddenly coming out of the west this goat. And as the goat is running across the landscape, he sees that the goat has two horns and they begin to grow. And one grows, the first one to come out starts growing. And then the second one to come out starts growing even faster and it becomes bigger and stronger. And as this goat is running across the landscape, it butts into the ram and it knocks off the ram's two horns. And without the horns, the ram is completely He's completely vulnerable. And with this, a goat tramples on him. And the goat then begins to run to and fro, just as the ram did. And he is knocking everything out. And in the midst of his journey, his big horn gets knocked off. And in its place, four horns grow out of the top of the ram's head, one in each direction, north, south, east, and west. And as Daniel is watching this horrific scene, as he's seeing all this happen, suddenly he sees from one of the prominent horns on this ram's head, another little horn is growing out. And as he watches this horn, this horn gains power and he becomes strong and he becomes mighty. And he actually goes up to heaven, this one horn, and he begins to fight with the prince of princes in heaven. And as he's fighting with the prince of princes in heaven, he actually stops the daily sacrifices. And Daniel is standing there in horror, in shock. What is going on? And somewhere he hears a conversation. He's not quite sure where this conversation is coming from. But someone says, how long, how long will this be allowed? This abomination in the temple, how long? And another voice says, 200 uh, 2,300 days, and then the sanctuary will be cleansed. And then it's back to normal. Daniel's standing there, and he's shaking, not really sure what happened. And out of nowhere, this amazing being walks up to him, And he says, I'm Gabriel, and I was sent to talk to you. And with that, Daniel crumbles, and he falls, and he's not quite sure what is going on. And he faints there as if he was dead. And Gabriel reaches down, and he touches him, and he says, Stand up, Daniel. I've been sent to tell you the meaning of your vision, what it's all about. 
And Daniel says, okay. And he says, that two-horned ram you saw is a great king. And this great king will rule, and he will rule fiercely. And the two horns that you saw were two kings, the Medes and the Persians. And when they get knocked off, he will be followed by another king, and another kingdom. This kingdom is the Greek kingdom. And its first king will be powerful and stronger. And when he, gets, when he dies, four other kings will take his place. And out of those four kings, one of them will grow and become strong and become another nation that is fierce and that is mighty and that is powerful. And he says, write this down. You need to understand. This is not talking about now. It is talking about later on in history. As Daniel is sitting there, I can't imagine what in the world I would think if I just saw that. Daniel is, uh, he's scared out of his mind. He's not sure exactly what's happening. And as we begin this conversation, um, as we look at what's going on in Daniel, like we said last night, Daniel repeats itself a number of times. And if you look at Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 8, turn with me to Daniel chapter 8, page 718. This is where we find this very weird vision, what is going on. And as Daniel is on the riverbank and he's seeing all of these strange things, God is coming once again to tell him about the future. He's coming, instead of to King Nebuchadnezzar, he's telling Daniel. And he says at the end of Daniel 8, he says, um, where is it? Or not at the end. Um, In Daniel chapter 8, verse 17, as Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified, I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. And so what Daniel has just seen, the vision he has just seen, relates to the time of the end. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar's statue brought us from Nebuchadnezzar's time all the way up through history. This prophecy starts in a slightly different place. Instead of starting with Babylon, which is already taking place, there's no king that needs to be flattered or glorified today. God's just telling him what's going to happen. And Daniel actually sees the events unfold, as we talked about before, when the Medes and the Persians overthrow Babylon in one night because of the arrogance of the king. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 19, read with me, it's on page 718, Daniel chapter 8, verse 19. This is what Gabriel tells him. He says, Then he said, I am here to tell you what will happen later in time, in the time of wrath. What you see pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. And if you remember, yesterday when we were talking in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45, we saw the same kingdoms represented in the chests of silver. And then Daniel says in verse 20, he says, or in verse 21, the shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of Greek, the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that replace the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none of these as great as the first. 
And we see in history that that's exactly what happened to the Greek Empire. And it matches up exactly with the statue that Daniel saw described in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It tells us that in Daniel 2.39. Then it tells us in verse 23, at the end of their rule, there were... Um, When their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many times without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle but he will be broken, though not by human power. The vision about the 2300 evenings and mornings is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time, so keep the vision a secret. We see that this next kingdom was exactly represented in the legs of iron. It was Rome. And during the time of Rome is when exactly what this kingdom describes, they're going to take on the prince of princes. That's when Jesus was here on this earth. And Satan took him on. But this prophecy has something a little bit extra. Something different that the prophecy in Daniel had. It stops at Rome and then it adds something else. It doesn't tell us about the the feet of clay and iron, which is the day we're living in. Something happens before that. And that's where it stops. In Daniel chapter 8 verse 14, it says, The other replied, it will take 2300 evenings and mornings. Then the temple will be made right again. What in the world does that mean? 2300 evenings and mornings, and then the temple will be made right again, or the temple will be cleansed. What does that mean? It doesn't make sense to me, and it probably doesn't make sense to most of you, But it made perfect sense to Daniel because Daniel was a Jew. And Daniel understood the customs of the Jew. And when he understood what happened at the temple, it makes it very clear why it needed to be cleaned. What was happening in the temple that it needed to be cleaned. It wasn't like our weekly vacuuming that goes to the church. It was something very different. If you um, look in Exodus chapter 25 verse 8, that's page 67, Exodus chapter 25 verse 8. It tells us, Exodus 25, verse 8, page 67, it tells us, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I may live with them. First of all, this temple that is going to be cleansed is referring back to what God wanted. It was a place for him to reside. He wanted to live with the children of Israel. And in John 1, verse 29, it tells us, turn to John 1, verse 29, which is page, I didn't write it down. John 1, 29, I'll tell you in a second. John 1, 29 is page 860. John 1, 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the, of the world. Why would John refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God in the context of the temple and what happened there? Well, 
if you don't know, this is what would happen. Back in the time of the Israelites, of the Jews, before Jesus died, if someone sinned, they would have to, when they realized their guilt, they would have to go find a perfect lamb out of their flock. And then they would take that perfect lamb and they would go to the temple where they would find a priest. And with that priest, they would put their hands on the lamb. In the holy temple... And there was two compartments. There was the holy place where all the priests would do most of their work. And then there was a big veil. And this veil separated the holy place from the most holy place. And in the most holy place was where God's presence resided on the Ark of the Covenant. And so the normal priest, after you had sinned, after you'd cut the lamb's throat, would catch the blood. And they would take the blood and they would go before this veil, and they would sprinkle some of the blood onto the veil. Now think about this. Thousands and thousands of Israelites, all of them sinning, if they sinned as often as we do, think about what would happen after a year of priests sprinkling blood on this veil. It probably was pretty disgusting in there. I, I mean, I just, I can't imagine what a year's worth of blood caked on. And so God put in a provision for this. Once a year, he would have what was called the Day of Atonement. And this was a special day described in Leviticus 16, where there's a special offering brought. And there was two goats brought this time. And these two goats, the high priest would take, and they would cast lots. They would, they would pick the shortest straw. And the one that was chosen would be the sacrifice. And it would be put on the altar, and it would represent all the sins of all the people for that year. And during the Day of Atonement, all the people had to fast. They weren't allowed to eat. They had to spend the entire day Um, asking God for forgiveness. And what the high priest would do, he had a very special garment that he would put on. He had to bathe in a very special way because this was the one time a year that he was allowed to enter into God's presence. And if he entered into God's presence and he hadn't made himself right with God, God's holiness and God's glory would have killed him. In fact, they used to put bells on the priest's garments and they would tie a rope around their ankle because if they went in before God's presence and they hadn't confessed all their sins and it killed them, anybody else who went in to try to get them would die too. So they would have to pull them out. As far as we know, nobody ever died in God's presence. But that's, it was such a sacred and such a holy place. And so after the high priest would go in and he would make atonement, he'd kill this special um, goat. He would go in and he'd sprinkle the blood. And then he would go back out and he'd put his hands on another goat. And he would confess the sins of the people on that goat. And that goat was then shoved out into the wilderness where it was carrying the sins of the people away from the temple, away from them, where it would be safe. Once a year, this happened, the cleansing of the temple. And so in Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, when the angel is said, when when Daniel hears the people talking and he says, after 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed, he knows exactly what that means. 
But he understands that this is on cosmic level. It's on a different scope. It's on a different level because he understands that the different animals in this particular thing represent different periods, different kingdoms. So after these first four kingdoms happen, after Rome happens, there's going to be something happen that takes 2,300 days. So if we take this literally and we take the fact that the sanctuary is going to be cleansed literally... 2,300 days. How many days are in a, a year? 365. About how many times do 365 go to, into 2,300? Between six and seven. It's not quite even. So, between six and seven years from the time Daniel um, saw this vision, does that seem to fit in the time frame of what God is talking about if there has to be the Medes and the Persians followed by the Greeks, followed by the Romans, and then this is going to happen? So does that seem to fit within the time frame? Okay, so we have to understand that this 2,300 days is something besides something literal. It's going to be something besides something literal when the sanctuary the to-be-mentioned sanctuary is going to be cleansed. And he understands that the cleansing means the day of atonement. If we look in the Bible, Jesus represents the the lamb that was killed for people's sins. But it it was something different for the cleansing of the sanctuary. There's something else that this represents. It's a cleansing that happens in the holy temple, the original temple in in heaven. And so if we look, if you look with me to... um, Ezra chapter 7, verse 13. Oh, no, not that one. Hang on. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6. Hang on, I didn't write down where that was either. Ezekiel 4, verse 6. That's on page 670. Ezekiel 4, verse 6. Page 670 in your Bibles. Ezekiel 4, verse 6. This gives us a clue how to understand this 2,300 days. It tells us, God is talking to Ezekiel. He says, I'm requiring you to bear Israel's sins for 390 days, one day for each year of their sin. After that, turn over and lie on your right side for 40 days, one day for each year of Judah's sin. And God is talking to a prophet and he's using prophetic language. And so talking to a prophet, using prophetic language, he's saying, every year that the Israelites sinned, I'm going to count it as a day. So in other words, a day in God's eyes is equal to a year. Does that make sense? So let's see if this applies and if it works and if it fits within the prophecy that Daniel was just seen for the 2,300 days. So if you turn to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, page 917, or 719, sorry. 719. After Daniel has heard this vision, after the angel has explained as much as he could, as much as Daniel could handle at the time, Daniel becomes physically sick. He's overcome and he lays in bed for several days. What he just saw, this vision about the kingdoms and they're going to overtake each other, the rams and the horns and the growing, and it's just too much for Daniel to handle. And so he's sick. And in the first part of chapter 9, it tells us that Daniel begins to pray. And as Daniel's praying, he's praying, and he starts confessing his sins because he realized something grievous, something big has happened. And he's praying, he's confessing his sins, and then he feels impressed 
to confess the sins of all of Israel. And so he's praying. And for the first 21 verses of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying. He's confessing his sins. He's confessing the sins of the nation. And he's pleading for God's grace and God's mercy. And as you go down through the prayer, as you go down, you hit verse 20. Daniel chapter 9 verse 20 says, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, for his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I'd seen earlier in the vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifices. He explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I'm here to tell you what it was For you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. All right. Gabriel had already explained the last time he was with Daniel what everything meant except for the 2300 days. He had stopped there because Daniel couldn't handle it. Daniel was so overcome and he was sick. And so Daniel has to go through this process of being sick and pleading and praying with God, trying to understand on his own. And as he's doing this, God sends, as soon as he starts praying, Gabriel with the answers that Daniel's looking for. He says, I'm here to tell you about the rest of your vision. So here's what it says in um, chapter um, chapter 9, verse 24. A period of seven sevens has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to the sin and atone for their guilt, to bring to everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. So in this verse, since this, Gabriel is describing what the 2300 days, and we just, if we're taking and we're going off of what Ezekiel says, a day equals a year, so how many years are we talking about? 2300 years, okay? You guys all in your brochures have a little chart like this, and we're going to fill out what this chart means um, in your little thing. So if we just knew when this 2300 years started, then we would know when it finished, right? And so what this says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, a period of seven sets of seven has been decreed for your people, your holy city, to finish their rebellion. Okay. So, what is seven sets of seven? A set of seven, what they're referring to is a week. So, there's seven days in a week. So, if we have seven days times seven, or um, 70 days times, um, 70 times seven, how many days do you have? 490, okay? So, what Gabriel is talking to Daniel about, he's starting with the first 490 years of the prophecy, he says, the first 490 years, who's, who does it relate to? It relates to, um, he says, 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people. Who is da- Daniel's people? The Jews, the Israelites, okay? So um, for the first 490 years, it relates to the Jews. This is going to be something. And it's also been decreed about your holy city. What is Daniel's city? What would be the city that would represent the Jews? Jerusalem. Okay. So the first 490 years is set apart for Jerusalem. This scale is a little bit different because we do a lot more with the first 490 years. So 
this part of your section, this is the first 490 years. So this bottom line here, you can put 7 times 70 equals 490. Or a set of 7 times 70 days equals 490 days. And according to Ezekiel, equals 490 years. Okay? So we're going to see if this 490 years fits and if it works. So... We still need to know when this whole thing starts, what happens. So if you keep reading to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, turn with me there. It says, now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus um, 62 sets of seven will pass uh, from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with its streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. So what does this verse mean? Okay, it says, Gabriel's telling Daniel, he says, okay, I'm going to break this down for you. Um, Now listen, understand that there's seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven. So how many sets of seven do we have right now? Seven plus 62. 69, okay. What is 69 times seven? 69 times 7 is 483. Is that right? 416? Yeah, it's 483. 483. So, um, for the first 483 years of this, this is what's going to happen. He says, now listen, understand that 7 sets of 7 plus 62 sets of 7 will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem Okay, so this is our starting point. When the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem, Gabriel's saying, I'm telling you when the 2300 days starts. It starts from the command to rebuild Jerusalem. So when was the command to rebuild Jerusalem given? If you turn to Ezra, chapter 7, verse 13, that's page 389. Ezra, chapter 7, verse 13 Page 389, Ezra chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 12 actually. It says, Ezra 7, page 389. All right, it says, From Artaxerxes the king of kings to Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of God of heaven, greetings. I decree that any of the people of Israel in my kingdom, including the priests and the Levites, may volunteer to return to Jerusalem with you. I and my council of seven hereby instruct that you conduct an inquiry into the situation in Judah and Jerusalem based on your God's law, which is in your hand. We also commission you to take with you silver and gold, which we are freely presenting as an offering to the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. And then the letter goes on where King Artaxerxes gives Ezra permission to go back and to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And if we look historically, when this decree came out, because it's recorded in history, it tells us in 457 BC, Artaxerxes gave Ezra permission to rebuild Jerusalem. So write down that date because we're going to build off that date. 457 BC is when King Artaxerxes gave Ezra permission to rebuild Jerusalem. What is 
the Bible talks about two other permissions that were given to rebuild Jerusalem, one in Nehemiah and other stuff. But this is the first decree where they're given their identity, where they're allowed to go back, and to anybody's allowed to go back. So it's a full-out decree. And so it starts in 457. So turn back to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to keep reading and figure out what this 2300 days represents. So Daniel chapter 9, page 719. Daniel chapter 9, page 719. In verse 25, it says, Now listen, understand, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven, which is 69 weeks, or 483 uh, years, days equal years, will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. All right, so it starts... In 457 B.C., when the command is given by King Artaxerxes that they can rebuild the temple. And this first 69 weeks ends when the anointed one comes. A ruler, the anointed one, comes. So who is this ruler, the anointed one? Turn with me to um, to Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. And that is on page 832. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 says, One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. He was praying, and the heavens were open. The Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. So, okay, this is talking about Jesus. Let's look over to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Hold your finger in Luke because we're coming back here. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Turn with me there. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, which is on page 892 or 893. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. You there? It says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. All right, so it tells us in Acts chapter 11 that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then it tells us back in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, okay? So if we know when his baptism in, then we can see if it fits in this prophecy. So turn back with me to Luke chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 1. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Turn back with me. It says, Luke chapter 3, verse 1, it was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. And the one thing about the Romans is they kept very good records. So we know exactly when the 15th year of Tiberius's reign was. It was in AD 27. So write, mark down AD 27 for me. AD 27. Now somebody do the math for me is 490 years, um, or 483 years plus 457 B.C., does it come out to A.D. 27? Let's see what you guys come up with. Okay, so we start at 457 B.C., which is when the command went out to rebuild Jerusalem, and then it's 69 weeks that are being accounted for, and when the 69 weeks end, that's when the anointed one comes. 
And the anointed one we see is Jesus, and he was anointed at his baptism by the Holy Spirit. And so we're trying to figure out if 483 years, which is 69 weeks, plus the starting point equals AD 27. Does it work? 27? Actually, it comes out to 26, but there's a reason for that, because there is no zero year. There is no zero year when histor- historians were counting backwards because uh, B.C. was before Christ and they started with big numbers and went down and they went down to one. And instead of having a zero year, they started with one again. So you have to basically take and add one extra year in there to account for the way historians have counted history. And if you look through history, if you start at the command to rebuild Jerusalem that was given in eighty or B.C. Uh, 457 B.C., and you go 483 years, it takes you to A.D. 27, the exact year that Jesus was baptized. And so the prophecy, the year-for-a-day principle seems to be holding water. Let's see if the rest of the things that the angel tells Gabriel still holds water so we can understand what the rest of this prophecy is about. So as you're looking at the prophecy, turn back with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, we're going to read verse 26. That's page 719. It says, After the period of 62 sets of seven, so it counted seven sets of seven, then 62. So after this, um, the 69 weeks, this is going to happen. The anointed one will be killed. Right, so we know that the anointed one was Jesus. So after Jesus comes, sometime in this next week, he's going to be killed. Do we know that that happens? Sometimes in the next week. But we want to know if it tells us anything more. So let's keep reading. Appearing to have been accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and the wars and its mis- mis- um, miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. It says, The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. So what is one set of seven? How many days is that, one set of seven? Seven days, right? And how many um, days, um, how many years would that equal? Seven years. So uh, for seven years, um, this ruler is going to make a treaty with the people. And this is... We're still talking about the first 490 years, so what people are we talking about? This is Daniel's people? Okay. We're talking about the Jews, Daniel's people. So for seven years, there's going to be a treaty made with God's people. But but after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. So what's half of seven years? Three and a half years. Okay. And what put an end to the sacrifices and offerings? The crucifixion? All right. Turn with me to Mark um, chapter 15, verse 37. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. That's page 826. It says, Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when Jesus died, a whole a supernatural 
event takes place in the temple, where the sacrificial system is carried out. What, what had been before, where nobody was allowed in the most holy place, God supernaturally tears this curtain from top to bottom, something that no human, nobody could possibly do. And he then makes accessible anybody who wants to, to the presence of God the Father, which we know is what Jesus did. When Jesus died for our sins, we no longer have to go through the sacrificial system. We now have free access to the Father. And so this tells us, this symbolizes that after three and a half years, and we we know from history that Jesus' ministries were three and a half years long, then he died. And so if we look back to Daniel chapter 10, it tells us that after half of seven days, or seven years, which is three and a half years, the sacrificial system will be put to an end. So, in AD 31, if you count three and a half years, if you count from the fall of AD 27 to the spring of AD 31, it's three and a half years is when Jesus died. We're halfway through the last week of the 490 years. So what about the last three and a half years? What happens then? Like it said here, um, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. So God is making a treaty with the people. He gave the, the Jews one week. He's like, you've messed up for the last 483 years. I'm going to give you seven more years to see if you can get this right. In the middle of it, they went ahead and crucified Jesus. Really big mistake. Not really what they should have been doing. But God gives them three and a half more years of grace. What marks the end of the 490 years? Have any guess? The stoning of Stephen. If you look in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, it describes the stoning of Stephen. And what happens at the stoning of Stephen is very important because Stephen is one of the Christians and he's out preaching about God. And the rulers of the church and the Jews, the Pharisees, they don't like this. And so they get so angry, they call him to court. And then when he starts testifying about Jesus as Christ and Lord, um, they stone him. And Stephen becomes the first martyr. And history tells us that Stephen was stoned in A.D. 34. Does it add up in this 2300-week prophecy? That marked the time, not only did it mark the time when the Jews totally gave up on Jesus as being Christ and Lord, it also marked the time when the gospel went to the Gentiles. So the first 490 years of this 2300 days are for the Jews. And it starts at the command to rebuild Jerusalem in 457 B.C. And then the next 69 weeks happen, and it takes us to the last seven years. And it starts when Jesus comes, gives us three and a half years of his ministry. He is crucified, which marks the end of the sacrificial system. Three and a half more years of grace for the Jews. Then they stone Stephen, and then God sends out his message to the rest of the world. What's 2,300 days minus 490 days? It's 1,810 days. Okay? So, if Stephen was stoned in AD 34, what's 34 plus 1810? 
1844. Something significant happened in 1844. What, what was said in Daniel chapter 8, it says, Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, it says it will take 200, uh, 2,300 evenings and mornings, and then the temple will be made right again. So, we know that the cleansing of the temple was a day of atonement here on this earth. And all of this is on a cosmic, a much bigger level. And so we find that it's not the temple here in this earth that's being cleansed because there actually isn't one single temple here in this earth. And so it takes us up into heaven where the original temple was, which was the original that the temple on earth was copied after. So what happened? It does the temple in heaven need to be cleaned? Was it dirty? What's in the temple in heaven? All of our sins are up there. They're sitting before God. They're sitting before him. And so in 1844, at the end of the 2300 days, something very special happened. Instead of cleansing the earth's temple of sins that represented blood, God is beginning to purify his temple up in heaven. Which is, if you look to Daniel chapter 7, it describes an awesome picture and it tells us what exactly is going on. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to read this and I just want you to get a picture of this. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Daniel says, I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow and his hair was purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne and the wheels of blazing fire and the river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him and many millions stood to attend him. The court began its session and the books were opened. Then jump down to verse 13. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal and it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. What's up in heaven? What's happening? As of 1844, is what it sets here. The ancient one of days, God the Father, and his son, Jesus Christ, have begun the judgment. They are looking through the books of this earth. They're opening the books of every person's life. Now, do you think this is, good, this is taking God a really long time? That's why it's, you know, he hasn't come back yet? No. God could be done right now. He already knows. But there's millions and millions of angels and people there who are looking at the books too. And they're seeing if the judgment is correct. So if we follow the 2300 day prophecy, if we go through the whole, the beast and everything else, we watch as God is very active in history and he has a plan. He tells us that Babylon is first and then it comes to the Medes and Persians and the Greeks and then Rome and then the 10 kingdoms which are now in Europe, which will never be united. The next thing to happen is God's kingdom comes back. But before that happens, God needs to know who 
is, has rightful entry into his kingdom. And so if we follow the 2300-day prophecy, it takes us to 1844, which means the judgment is already taking place. It has started. And that is what's happening now until Jesus comes back again. We are in the midst of the judgment when every single one of our names is being called. My challenge, my dare for this topic is, do you believe that we are living in the final judgment? Can you see how God had a plan and he mapped it out to Daniel very precisely? Do you see how God's hand is guiding history? Can you believe it? Can you see that God is appealing to you to be ready when he establishes his kingdom? Why else would he tell us so specifically what's happening? You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.